Hi, this is Andrew Miller from Business Enjoyment and this is another episode of The Tingle Zone. In this episode, I'm talking with Steve Bookbinder, who is an author and sales coach at DM Training. Steve has personally trained over 50,000 salespeople around the world, so he knows a thing or two about getting conversions. However, the DM in his company name stands for digital marketing because salespeople now need to be marketing people and marketing is digital. In our conversation, we explore such subjects as the real skill needed for selling, the power of pattern spotting, and how you only need to track one number. In addition, he explains why everything you've learned about selling is probably out of date already. Before we jump into the interview, I do remember to download a copy of my latest book, More Than Just Money, by going to my website, businessenjoyment.com, where a pop-up should appear. This book runs through the business enjoyment model, shows you how you can use it to find a solution to pretty much any problem, and of course, explains what I really mean when I say that I want you to enjoy your business so much, it makes your bits tingle. So do check that out, but for now, sit back, relax, take a note of what you don't know about what you thought you knew, and most of all, enjoy. Thanks for having me. I'm Steve Bookbinder. I'm the CEO and the lead trainer of a training company called DM Training, Digital Media Training. We do sales training and we do digital marketing education. And increasingly, the two have kind of blended. Salespeople need to know about digital marketing. And uh, so I provide both of those to uh, B2B salespeople across every industry uh, vertical. Uh, but all over the world. No, it's interesting what you said there about the fact that you do sales training and digital marketing, because it's one of those things where often they're very different different channels, but yet also they should be completely joined up and not always up. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so let me explain. Um, I, I used to work for a different company, a different sales training company. And the whole notion of sales training is kind of... Um, you know, if you were training any other thing, presumably everybody who you're training didn't know the thing and they needed to be to learn. Sales training doesn't work that way uh, in this way. I actually don't think you could train or teach somebody how to sell. You know, the things you think about selling, like have that right personality, have that drive, whatever, whatever qualities you think of a, as a salesperson. I think those qualities have changed over the years, but many of them you can't actually teach. You, know, you can't teach somebody to be nicer or more persuasive. If people buy from people they like, you can't train somebody to be more likable. You know, if you could just 8% more likable, that would have worked so well. So there is an irony to that. So what you can't, you know, there's, there's sales is basically uh, persistence, personality, and process. So you can only train the process. So that's, that is where I focus on. So there's sort of an irony there. But I was working in this other training company delivering this training of about the process, specifically pipeline management. Sales come from your pipeline. So we teach people how to manage their pipeline. And the moment you start to look at your pipeline, the first thing you realize is, boy, you know what I need? More stuff in my pipeline and stuff that's moving. That's kind of, so it kind of leads to everything else like prospecting and personal marketing and questioning and strategizing and all the other skills that it takes to move things across your pipeline. Along the way, I was working with clients in every single vertical. 
So, uh, uh, you know, so people in insurance, people in the oil industry, people in communications, every kind of, and every time I meet with anybody, they would say to me, you know, we're different. And I, and at first I would go, oh yeah, well, no doubt. I, I, I could easily see why somebody selling an industrial product would be different than somebody selling a communications product. But eventually I, I, by this point in my life, I've now done 5,000 live workshops 500 sales kickoffs, literally trained, coached, managed, mentored 50,000 salespeople and sales managers all over the world. And so when people say to me, we're different, I, 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 I'm tempted to go, really? How do you know? Uh, what makes you think you do? Have you worked outside of your own industry? Most people just stay in their own kind of corner. If you, you know, from my point of view, they're not so different. Every time you think you're so different, it's actually, you know what, there's another industry, totally different business in another country, but they've got the same challenges you have. So, you know, actually what I do, I, I don't invent how to do anything. I just collect the best practices. I tell people I've saved them the the work of, of spending 4,000 nights of their life in a hotel room so they could be on the front lines of sales. They could observe the one in a thousand people that's really doing something great. And then I just bring the word back to everybody else. So that's kind of what my role is. Not smarter than the other people. I just traveled and just saw what everybody else was doing and collected all the best practices. And, and I keep updating it in that way. Well, along the way, when I was in the other company, I'm working with, you know, one industry after another. And in the late nineties, early two thousands, I started to bump into companies in this new emerging industry, which has gone through a lot of name changes, but what we today call digital marketing wasn't really called that then, but it is now. And I bumped into these companies. Some of them still exist. iVillage was a client early on. They still exist. They were bought by NBC. You know, some of them didn't make it. Some of them merged, you know, and a lot of the technology changed. But when I first started working with these companies, two things about it. First of all, everybody I met used the same expression when they would describe how fast they're working. How, because they were all like on fire with excitement. And I was like, it was fascinating to watch. You didn't see this in insurance. You didn't see this in banking, but these, these early digital marketing companies, they were running around like crazy. And what, what, so, you know, tell me about this business. What's going on? They'd also, we're drinking from the fire hose. You know, like we're like firemen putting out a fire. It was like, Drinking for the at some point it wasn't just merely a, a, an academic interest in this new kind of sale, but it was like I want to be drinking for the fire hose. I want my <laughs> life to be exciting like that. I don't want to be slow like the, and and I just uh, just fell in love with it and realized that if I didn't have two feet in this new digital marketing world, my the world would just run me over. I would be replaced with what we now call e-commerce. You know, there'd be some internet ordering system to replace me. So I leave the training business. I go into the pure play, what's called pure play, digital marketing business on the ad tech side. So this is the side where the technology that makes things possible, specifically things like targeting. How do they know you're the right person and the person that seems exactly like you is not the right person? And, you know, the, the things like programmatic and stuff like that came from the company that I work with. Well, I spent a few years there and then the CEO of that company asked me to launch this company, uh, a training company that would, at the time, our mission was, let's bring the best and the brightest into this new emerging world where all the great jobs are, digital marketing. And that was, in many ways, a thousand years ago, but that was in uh, 2009. 
And since, so at the time, I had these two specialties, teaching salespeople across all these industries how to do a better process. And if you happen to be selling digital marketing, let me tell you what it is you're selling, who you're selling against, how to sell against the person you're selling against, and, and, and most important of all, how to understand what it is this business is. And most people only understand the part that they're in. So if you're in the part where you're doing targeting, you probably don't know anything about social media. If you're in the social media part, you don't know how do they make ads. If you know how they make ads, you don't know how they make websites. So there's always like pieces you don't know. And you could go from the top of the ocean to the bottom of the ocean with things you don't know about anything. But there's a lot of columns of uh, top to the bottom of the ocean. And I just happened to have a series of roles that put me in a position where I got to learn a little bit about a lot of things and even a lot about some of those things. So I started working with media companies, none of whom knew what I knew, but all of whom needed this. Mm -hmm. So over time, I've worked with ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox, HBO. I've worked with uh, print companies and digital companies and uh, uh, interesting the, the the companies in 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 broadcast and print they already knew how to sell they just didn't understand digital marketing the companies in the ad tech side knew all about uh, uh, how technology worked but not how to sell so um, but over time from 2009 till today not only is generally all the salespeople kind of upskilled about some of the stuff I spent a lot of time teaching in the beginning but the world has changed to the point that salespeople now also need to be marketing people and marketing is digital marketing. Mm. Any kind of advertising is digital advertising, even if there's other kinds of things. So as a salesperson, and I'll give you a, the most classic example. Every salesperson wants leads. Every salesperson wants good leads. What makes a lead good? If I call the lead and they go, oh boy, am I glad you called? You know, we were just sitting here hoping you would call. That's a good lead. All other leads are terrible. And so that used to be the case. And you'd blame marketing if you had terrible leads. Now, marketing, in their view, any kind of lead is a lead that probably somebody engaged with the website. Had nothing to do with having an interest. Just they showed some interest in something, some content. And they expect salespeople to nurture those leads. The way I describe it is take those lead seeds and nurture them into low-hanging fruit. Well, that's digital marketing, nurturing leads. It uses social selling and email marketing. And you have to understand how people are influenced by what they see online. All of a sudden, what do we see? Sales training, which was this one thing, and digital marketing, which was this other thing. Well, it turns out everybody needs a little of both. Now, clearly, if you're in the media business, you need a lot of both. But even if you're selling nuts and bolts, even if your company makes hammers and you're selling, there's probably no way to do that without some kind of knowledge about email marketing and social selling and nurturing. And so uh, for that reason, uh, we're a blend of those two things. The other reason that we're called digital marketing is in the old days. And, and by the way, the old days, in the old days, when you talked about the old days, like in 19... Uh, you know, in 2009, when you talk about the old days, you're talking about 1988. But in today's world, the old days were all of the days before March of 2020. All the other days were old. But uh, in the old days, you would do delivered training, in you know, a live workshop. So I flew all over the world. Now we do it digitally, either virtually or online. So we're digital marketing both by our content and our um, subject uh, and our delivery. Yeah, yeah. I, and I was really fascinated, and, and it's it's true because the 
if you've got your marketing right, there is no sale required at the end. The, 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 the point where you get to conversation, the sales already happened through the marketing process. So the deals are already done in the person's head and all you're doing is fine tuning the, the actual. You know, that's such an interesting way of saying it because uh, first of all, it's simpler than the way I've been saying it, which is <laughs> <laughs> that, that the B2B customer has become like the consumer mm. in this way. They 50 to 75% of the buying journey is actually completed without a salesperson. Mm. So by the time a B2B customer actually calls a salesperson or talks to them, they're already more than halfway through their own buying process, which means they've heard something. They And where do they hear it? Social media from, from uh, subject matter experts, thought leaders, if they read their blogs or the newsletters or they're targeted in one way or another, they see that content that influenced them. And, um, uh, so you're talking to a person who's looking and listening through a filter. So like, you know, I'll give you an example. Like one of the things that salespeople have learned to ask, learned to do is to find the needs. And my favorite of all sales expression, probe to find the needs. Sounds something more medical. Sounds painful. <laughs> Prospect, what do you need? I don't need anything. Oh, really? Listen, they've trained me to probe. To find, don't make me have to do this because I'm going to probe right now. I'm going to probe. Just feels very awkward. Well, in today's world, it, it, the salesperson isn't the one that's going to help this customer determine what it is they need. The customer's already figured out what they need mm -hmm. and they already have the internet. It's actually a better question other than, than what do you need is this question. How long have you figured out you've needed something? How long you've been looking and how come you haven't picked somebody yet? And then the answer would be, well, the reason we haven't picked a solution yet is because, well, I need that because, well, you see, the thing is, the thing is, you see, the thing is, the reason we haven't picked is the thing, there's, there's two people in a conversation, only one of us knows the thing that is. If the salesperson also knew the thing, they would have a better uh, shot at being able to figure out how to get this customer to buy and how to help them in, in the best possible way. So it, it because of the internet, it's changed the way that customers buy and it's changed the way salespeople have to sell. It changed the questions you should be asking. So it's as a trainer, it's given me a career because uh, it isn't like the same program that would have worked in the old days would still work now. No. The same program that worked in the old days will not work. That world doesn't even exist anymore. In fact, when people say, yeah, I've been selling for 30 years. No, you haven't. I mean, maybe you've been in sales for 30 years, but whatever you were doing then, you're certainly not doing now. In fact, the things you're doing now haven't even been around longer than about a year. And, and the other thing about sales is every time you turn around, there's something new. In six months, there'll be a new thing. They haven't even invented it yet. In six months, there'll be a thing that the moment it comes out, you're going to be expected to be an expert in this thing. So the, the, the biggest skill that salespeople need now is the skill of learning a new skill very quickly. Mm. That's the skill. Mm. Yeah, the ability to be flexible uh, and change and adapt. And I think that's, you know, that, yeah, I, I would argue that across all entrepreneurs, all business owners in general. And, but because sales and marketing is such a key part of any business anyway then the fact that those two go hand in hand is not a not a shock or surprise on that uh, overlap at all um just picking up on one of the things that just amuses me is that whenever i'm networking talking to people hearing the usual spiel about marketing and sales is the other cliche and phrase which i'm all in favor of i get but um but it's always people buy from people that's the thing people buy from people and that then becomes the embodiment of everything. And then you step back and you look, 
who does more sales on the planet than anybody else? Oh yes, Amazon. Mm. And I can think about what I want, look for what I'm looking for, buy the thing I want to buy and have it delivered and never meet a single human being in the process. Right. And maybe prefer it that way too, by the way. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. I yeah. mean, if, 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 if more and more people getting in touch with their uh, inner introverts <laughs> during these lockdown years, you know. you know, you know, it's funny. There are so many expressions that people, they have it in their head, tattooed in their brain and, and, and they, and they're sure it's right because you know, they, they, they just, they've been told it's right. And so I like to question every one of those things. I'll give you an example. I'll give me an example. Every single salesperson I've ever met will say to me, you got to qualify. You know, the most important thing is you got to qualify. You totally got to qualify. And I go, so uh, let's look at your pipeline. Is uh, Given that you just told me that everybody's got to be qualified, did you qualify everybody in this pipeline? Oh, yeah. Oh, they're, they're qualified. I know the Okay, so when somebody's qualified, what what does that mean? And now, literally, I've trained 50,000 people. So I've had an opportunity of asking a lot of people this particular question. But I always ask it like as if I don't know. So they 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 um, they explain it to me. They go, see, when they qualify, and this is no matter what product, what service, what's when you're qualified, they, are, they have a potential need and potentially they could pay for it. Oh, oh, well, let me go the other way. Have you ever met anybody that's not qualified? I mean, I'm going to guess that after your first two weeks, maybe in the first two weeks, you made a couple of mistakes. You accidentally went to the uh, gas station and it turns out they don't buy computer systems. But after you sorted that out, you uh, never make them. Isn't everybody potentially, a, 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 well, yes. So what I've learned as a, as a business owner is let's, let's, re, let's redefine qualified. Mm. And watch this. My definition of qualified is, yeah, they have a potential need and yeah, they have a potential ability to pay or influence somebody else to pay. But here's the big one they'll make a budget decision soon. They'll make some budget decision, let's say in 60 days. Mm. Like the fact that you might someday possibly have a need is less interesting to me as a salesperson than you'll make a decision. Because the biggest things that prevent salespeople from getting a sale is not that the customer goes, no, we've carefully thought about it, analyzed it, weighed everything and decided no, no. Actually, what they decided to do was to not decide. You know, we decided to do to put this on a back burner. We can't decide what to do. So we're going to take our, everybody's favorite solution, which is to decide not to decide. So qualified, there's a word that, you know, I like, to, and, and I'll just pick on words like that. You know, what does that mean? What, here's one, best prospect. I start a class by going, what's your best prospect? And then the person will tell me this incredible story. They're like, oh, I'm mad and this thing, and how oh, they love it and they need it and they blah, blah, blah. And then after they finished, I just turn around and go, oh, and let me just say back to you what you just told me. A couple of months ago, they were looking for something which they had this need for. And I know like if I need something like air, let's say it's I need air, I'm going to get air. That's in fact how you'd know I need it because I'm going to go. So you then introduce the solution, the air, if you will, to their need. And after that, they have been so motivated, so impressed that they've taken no step. And at this moment, you're not even scheduled to see them again. So before you had a meeting, you tried to get a meeting with them. And when you got the meeting with them, you did the best you could. And after they spent an hour talking to you, they're not even talking to you again. If they're not even talking to you again, what are the odds are gonna send you a contract or a check? I just said to you back what you just said to me, you're still 
that optimistic about this sale. And when I turn it around like that, they realize, oh yeah, they realize that what, what they've been doing with their prospects is like what the kids do with their parents, arguing why everybody else should also be optimistic. But uh, I'm not, you know, as a manager, one of the things I've learned is when salespeople make more sales, as a manager, I actually look better and I get some, some of their money override sometimes. Mm -hmm. When the salesperson doesn't do what they're supposed to do, they've effectively taken money out of my wallet, effectively taken food out of my daughter's mouth. So uh, that's, you know, so I look at it very differently when the salesperson doesn't do what they're supposed to do. And I try to get the salesperson to see it that way too. I love that approach. And, and I think quick question there, because it's very much a, obviously deal with some really large businesses. And then we've got some people that might be listening that might be a lot smaller. What would you say is the percentage of salespeople, marketing people that you deal with, train, speak to, who are actually delivering the product as well? Uh, well, uh, anybody in a service business, it would be that. So I, so if you buy my training, this is the sort of the irony of my sale. I sell you, you, you I, what's the problem that you're trying to solve? Well, our people aren't doing enough of this. We're doing too much of that. Okay, why don't you buy from me? And then what you get from me is me. You get eight hours of me. You know, you get a, a day of me. I thought you were going to give me more prospects. Well, not actually, I'm going to give you training, but actually that, uh, you know, I promised, you know, I'm trying to get you successful, but you're going to end up with me. Most, most people aren't actually selling aren't the aren't the aren't the service in the same way that a training a company would be but everybody in sales from the customer's point of view is re responsible for their own service owns their own service so if i'm the customer and you buy and i buy from you and even though you didn't make the product even though a whole team is going to actually maybe deliver that product once they buy if something goes wrong you know i'm blaming you you know, so you didn't either command your own resources properly or you didn't figure out what I needed properly or whatever the problem is, it's you. So the salesperson, whether they like it or not, has to own their service mm -hmm. and act like they own it, whether or not they actually have any control. You can't really point the finger. I know you, you got screwed, didn't you? Yeah. No, it's not me, by the way. It's those other people, my own company. Oh, why didn't you mention that the other people in your own company are terrible people before you sold it to me? Mm. it's still your fault and i think that touches on something which for me i think is quite important because uh again going back to the the, the old 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 days <laughs> the pre, pre 2019 yeah. yeah even back there yeah um but you know you always think of the salesman as the the, the selling the photocopier and all you know mm. all the brian tracy stuff is from back in those days where you're hammering on doors and getting contracts and that kind of stuff and feels like back then it was I've just got to hit my sales target. I've got to, got to get the numbers up. I've just got to buy stuff and ship it across. And I don't care what happens to it once it's gone past my door. And I think specifically, you know, I'm thinking here of the banking industry where people were targeted to make sales and they didn't care what they were selling. And look what happened in 2008 once they started selling a load of whatever. With, you know, on a broader spectrum, we're getting more globalized as a, as a as business in general but I think we need to get more globalized as a service. So when we are connecting marketing, sales and delivery as a whole, now we're giving good performance. And so it's not good enough just to sell. It's not good enough just to get people interested. You've got to make sure that entire uh, experience for the, 
the client goes all the way through because they're going to come back and come back or tell and talk and all the rest of it. And I think it's got more globalized now in in a business or needs to be um, than it was in the past. Absolutely. And, you know, and even on a lot of levels, I'll I'll give you an example. In the very, very, very old days, people used to stay at their job for a long time. In today's world, people move around a lot. So let's say I sell to you today. And remember in the beginning of this conversation, I said most salespeople kind of stay in their lane. They stay in what they know. They stay in their industry, even if they change jobs. So I sell it to you today. Not me, but my company screwed up in delivering. Now, tomorrow I work for another company. I come to see you. What, you're still going to remember, oh, you're the guy that screwed up the last time. You know, you, there's, you, 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 ha- it's, it's, you got to think long game. You know, I'm going to at some point relate, uh, be in a position where I could, I have a relationship with this person. I, I have found over the, I have a long career. Over the course of my career, I've worked for some of my clients. They've worked for me. I've bought from them. They've bought from me. We work together. Like there's a lot of places I help them get a job. They help me get a job. Like there's over the course of a lifetime, everybody you meet will like interchangeable characters. We will meet again and again and again. You know, when you're very, very young, you think, oh, the world's a big place. Oh, it's such a big place. The older you get, it's like, you know what? There's like 50 people in the whole world. You're going to bump into the same people. And if you're in banking, like I work with, I've over the years, I've worked with Moody's, S&P, and um, uh, uh, Fitch, which are the three rating agencies. The people that work in those companies, when you know they, they when they change jobs, where do they go? Well, they go to Thomson Reuters. I've also worked at that company, so I've worked at a, a lot or a bank. You know, I've worked a, with a lot of these people. So I've, I've, as a trainer, I've bumped into the same people again uh, as they change jobs. So you know, you, you all and sales, you've got to think long term. You never know. So that's you've got to really own the job and you own the service and. And, 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 and represent things right and not try to sell the, the wrong solution. Mm. And uh, yeah, and, and yeah, getting a sale for sale's sake should not be what it's about. Well, no, you have to help people. Over time, the, the attitude or the perspective of, of, of always deferring to what is the most help to the customer? I'll give you an example. Recently, I was desperate for a sale. You know, when you, small business owners, some months you're doing great, some months you're desperate for, I was desperate for sale. I get this inbound lead from a woman who's absolutely desperate to buy some training. But when I asked her to describe the training, I realized, you know, maybe I could figure out a way to spin my background as a perfect solution to her. But I already knew that there was better fits than me. And I knew somebody I could recommend. And I said, you know, after we went back and forth a couple of hours, I said, you know what? To be honest with you, there's somebody else that's better than me for this. Let me recommend them. And somebody I knew that was in a, actually not even in the sales business, but a better, a better potential coach to them. Now, th- that denied me a chance to get a sale. Does that work against me in the short term? I guess so. Does it help me in the long term? I think it does. So that's always been my attitude and as a result when you play the long game you just get different kinds of um uh, ripple effects of all that activity so every single thing you do every single day will either come back to haunt you or help you 20 years from now and you don't know at the moment which thing which little innocent thing you did that's going to make all the difference but if you're always saying to yourself everything i do is going to ripple out like that um uh, it makes you think differently about some of the short-term decisions you would otherwise make. Which comes back to that point you made about qualifying lead, because right. 
you not being able, they may not be your qualified lead, but if you can find their problem and a solution, it doesn't have to be you, you've still serviced them. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'll so give you I, another one, by the way, on that. Let's say they can't make a budget decision very soon, and they know they can't make a budget decision very soon. Okay. Why is that? Because they don't see a need? No, because for whatever reason, they've got 100 things they need, and they only have time to get to 10 or budget to get to five of those things. So when they know they can't buy, and I as a salesperson pretend that that's not the case, so what do I do? I keep following up, follow up, follow up. Like, here's the most common thing that people do to follow up. The first time they meet, they have a information gathering session and the second at the end of that meeting the customer goes get me a proposal and the salesman's go oh, good a proposal now they have a homework assignment get a proposal after they get the proposal they actually don't know what to do so they wait about two three four weeks and they follow up and they don't literally say this but this is kind of what they say hey uh i don't know if you remember me but three four five six weeks ago you and i met you asked for a proposal which i got to you so i guess the purpose of my call today is to see if you got the proposal read it like it decided to buy from me but for some odd reason forgot to tell me so i'm following up to see if you forgot to tell me that you actually wanted to buy from me like they don't literally say that but isn't that kind of the, yeah and, yeah and here's what i think i think that the customer is annoyed by that it's like you know what i thought it was like like on a date like if you went on a date and the person at the end of the date you said hey listen i'd love to see you again ah gee i'm really you know what if, if if unless the person says yes at the end of the date the date didn't go so well so if you don't pick that up then you're annoying it's like did you not pick up the hint you didn't pick up the hint so I think when you do pick up the hint and you're not annoying, you, you, you leave open the possibility of a future relationship. But it's the person that somehow ignored the fact that you weren't interested enough to buy, follows up. And then what happens is salespeople don't look at the statistics, but they do remember the one famous exception. So they'll remember the one time that they called somebody a thousand times and the person finally went, oh, all right, I'll buy from you. Aha, see, if you call people a thousand times, follow up enough times, you'll get to, yeah, but do you remember the 999 times it didn't work and now the person's annoyed by you? You forgot those times, but you remember the one time it did work. Mm. So uh, I think I think the the problem of salespeople's follow up is uh, if it, it done in the right amount, it's perfectly fine. Just one little bit too much, and you're annoying, and then you've ruined the relationship for life. You can never overcome that. Yeah, and what if you'd done what you said before and taken those nine hundred ninety nine people, and instead of uh, walking away from them, steering to something that they are in a position to buy or how can i help you who can i introduce you to what are you in a space for meet this person meet this person how can i connect you yeah yeah well that's another psychological thing you know salespeople are heavily influenced by a psychological thing called sunk costs in fact investors are too Mm. Um, just as an aside, there was a book called The Undoing Project, and it was written by these two Israeli psychologists who had won the Nobel Prize for economics, and which is an unusual thing in that business. But what they had figured out was that the assumption was always that, that investors are rational. They make rational decisions. And it turns out they don't. A, 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 an investment portfolio is, is a sales pipeline. Mm. And... The, a rational thing would be to make a decision based on whatever's going on today. But an irrational thing would be sunk costs. So sunk costs works this way. If I have a car and I put money into the car to repair it, and it's a lot of money, 
I'm now afraid to sell the car because I've just sunk a lot of money. The fallacy of this is that I sunk a lot of money, whether or not I sell the car, I can never recover the repair bill. So whether or not I ever sell the car, uh, sell the car, I still spent all that money. Same thing with the my my portfolio. I invested so much time writing the proposal, following. I can't let it go. I can't let it go. So because I can't let it go, the time that I spend following up, I no longer have available to find somebody new. So because I'm not finding somebody new to talk to, the only people I'm talking to are the people that I have been talking to. And now I have the pressure of hitting this month's quarter, this month's goal, this quarter's goal. And so I only have a handful of people to talk to, albeit people I've been talking to for months. So now I'm doing more and more follow-up. I'm actually spending more and more time against a group of people who are statistically less and less likely with each passing day to buy anything. And uh, so it's this sunk cost that prevents people from letting go of their prospects, from prospecting enough from meeting enough new people what's crazy about sales is sales is about meeting new people talking to people you know everybody in whatever job they have they like doing if you're an accountant you like counting if you're a lawyer you like lawyering in sales you think if you're a sales you like selling no you actually you, you like to avoid selling you like to avoid meeting new people to talk to and so it's a, it's a ripple effect that causes people to be inadvertently annoying because they following up too many times with somebody who's already indicated they're not ready to buy. How do I know they're not ready to buy? Because we've given them every opportunity to buy for months and they have resisted our efforts. Didn't that tell us something? So let's just get that clear on that because I think there was something in there that was quite powerful. So salespeople, from your experience, don't like meeting new people, do you say? Well, they say they do. But then if you go, all right, walk me through your day. What, what did you do yesterday? Did you prioritize meeting new people? Well, no, I, I would have. I meant to. But see, I was very busy inputting stuff into my CRM. I see. How long did that take you? Oh, that took like three hours because I have this really great excuse of why it took technology, you know, and the internet and then the complication of the platform. Uh, what else did you do? Well, then I was spending some time getting ready to call people. Huh? What, what did you do during the getting ready? Oh, I was researching. You know, it's a good idea to read. Oh, yeah, that's good. So between admin and getting ready, you ran out of time to call anybody new. In fact, let me go the other way. Did you call anybody new yesterday? No. How about the day before? Well, no, I almost did, but no. How about last week? How many people would go? Well, in a 40 hour week, 50 hour week, 60 hour week, I call I, one, one new person. Well, you know, so they, they'll talk a game about meeting people, going wide and deep, reaching far and wide, shaking all the trees, turning over every leaf. They use every expression like that. But if you actually count how many different people did you meet last week or this week or today or yesterday, you find that they're not actually managing their time. In fact, time management is the thing that most salespeople think they do great. And I think they do well because they, you know, most salespeople are busier than, you know, sales is, is, a, is a job where there's more to do than time. But when I ask people, I say, you're great at time management. Can you define time management? And what they end up really telling me is that their sense of time management is work faster, shove more things into your day, multitask, which fails all the time. Here's time management, aligning your time with your goals. If your goal is to meet more new people and you aligned your time with your goals, then if I asked you, how many new people did you meet yesterday? You'd say, oh, two. How do I know? Because I spend two hours every day on just that, talking to somebody new. And I've aligned my time. I don't let the fact that some admin thing 
which is potentially going to spill into two hours worth of work, actually do that. It actually interfere with my, the most important things. I, I manage or limit how much time I spend on things which aren't going to pay me. So I have some time available for the kind of activities that lead to getting paid for something. Mm. And I'm guessing, and you can put me right if I'm wrong, um, that again, it's the old way of thinking versus the new way of thinking. So the old way of thinking is, cold lead is hardest to sell to keep nurturing your warm leads that's the the most important of the cold lead. however what we going back to what you're saying beforehand if you've got your marketing right there's no such thing as a cold lead you're already into a warm space and the more new people the faster conversation move on get through well the, absolutely so but i think you're going to do two things you have to recognize that there are people that are ready to buy people that are thinking about making a change and people that are otherwise qualified that are just not thinking. Mm. And you could still make a sale to them, but you have to have the skills. And the first skill and the most obvious one is this. If I know that you're not looking, but you would in fact love this thing I'm selling you because of some research that I've done that indicates that you would actually find it's relevant, but you're just not looking at this moment. When I introduce my service to you, you're probably going to say, huh, that's it. Yeah, I'm not really interested in that right now, but I'm, you know, I'm thinking about other things, but you, you've given me an objection, not interested. So I hear salespeople, when the customer says not interested, which must happen a lot, right? Because how many times are you talking to somebody who's just not interested at that moment? They really were interested. They'd have called you. So you called them. So almost by definition, they're not interested. So what do you say when they're not interested? And this is where the whole thing falls apart. The salesperson will then say, well, I asked them why. <laughs> Watch. If, if you say to me, you're not interested, and I go, why are you not interested? You're then going to go into a long uh, conversation explaining why you're not interested. Well, you're going you're gonna to initially think you're not interested for two reasons, but by the time you finished five minutes telling me why you're not interested, now you got up to 10 reasons why you, you actually thought of a few other reasons why now is not a good time. And so it becomes an argument. So right off the bat, the salesperson and this customer are trying to have a discussion. The salesperson asks the wrong question and then it gets an argument. It's the wrong question. So that not being able to handle the objections that you know are coming in the beginning of a conversation is it prevents you from being able to sell to somebody except the hottest, the most ready to buy people. Mm. I'll give you another example of that. Who's the world's best salesperson? I asked salespeople this. I said, who's the best one? Who's the best one? And they go, oh, is it this one? Is that not? You know who it is, but you, you didn't realize it. It's the cashier in a supermarket. They're unbelievable. These people sell millions of dollars worth of food and what's most incredible, 100% closing rate. Everybody they talk to, they sell. They sell every single thing. When people put stuff down on the conveyor belt, they sell all of it. But if you ask that same cashier to say, listen, I want you to try to sell one more quart of milk a day. Beside all the other order taking that you're doing, which is brilliant. But if you could just sell one more... It would be impossible to sell that extra quart of milk without getting a hundred people to say no first. Hey, I, I thank you for buying everything you bought. Would you like one more quart? No, I, if I wanted another quart, I would have put it there. But every one out of a hundred go, all right, I'll take the other quart of milk. And now what would happen? You'd have a lower closing ratio, but more sales. So the salesperson has got to 
kind of analyze what am I really looking for? A hundred percent closing ratio with never an objection, which, which is fine if I could make that work. But what if I don't have enough of those hot leads in the same way that a, the a supermarket cashier has? What, what if I don't have enough of those? I have to go wide and deep. I've got to find somebody who at this moment is, is qualified, but they're not looking. And then I've got to have the skill of being able to take that conversation from that starting point and maneuver it over time into, into a relationship where I could put myself in a position for, for you to buy it from me. Mm. So when I need different brain, kind of skills. When their brain switches into the point of, this is what I want, this is what I'm looking for, they know exactly where they're going to go. Because that work's already been done in advance. Right, right. So it's, it's, it's uh, a lot of sales is like, uh, you know, when you ask salespeople about a story, and I have literally asked 50,000 people for the stories of their sales and generally and gone through their pipeline. And what's interesting is you can understand how salespeople are processing what's going on around them by the way they tell the story. Most salespeople, and they're describing every sale to me, <clears throat> start with these words. Well, this one's interesting. This one's different. And what about this other one? Oh, yeah, that one, that one's really kind of different. And this other one, that's very different. And I and I'll say back to them. So when you say different, different from what? Different from the stories of sales that usually close, making it therefore similar to the stories of sales that seldom close? Why would you want to be working on any of those stories? Why wouldn't you want every story that you're working on to be boringly similar to the stories of sales that typically close and avoid the stories that typically end up as a sad story where they don't close? So that, you know, so it's kind of an irony right there. But given that it, you know, it is it, salespeople kind of view like you never know what's going to happen. I say, you know what? You totally know what's going to happen in the story of a sale. Let's look at literature. And they say in literature, there's five books, five books. Every book is some variation of one of the five books. In sales, it's like six stories, six stories of anything that ever happened. In fact, you don't even need the story. You just need to say this story too. That's the story where I met with somebody who doesn't have the budget. I met with the story three. They've got the budget. They don't have the time. You know, it's like six stories. And so they should, if you recognize the sale as which story it fits, you'd also have the remedy. In, it's a story six. And so what I know is when it's six, I do this. And when it's a story four, I ask this and I do that. And in that way, I would always take the high probability move because I would do the thing that we learn in digital marketing. It's a digital marketing concept. Digital marketing is about pattern recognition. Mm -hmm. Salespeople need to think digitally pattern recognition. What do I do when this sort of thing happens? I'll give you an example of that. Most salespeople qualify like crazy, like I said, but when they get to the part where they give the proposal, the customer all of a sudden changes the game. Because up until that point, the salesperson said, are you the right person? Are you the decision maker? Are you sure you're the right person? And the other person was going, yep, it's me, it's me, me, me. Then you get them a proposal and they go, yeah, I got to talk to my boss. I got to show it to the committee. Well, let me present it to the team. And, you know, as a salesperson, you go, wait, I thought I asked you if you were the person you told me you and all of a sudden there's a boss. I got to go to my boss. I got to go to the, so the salesperson who recognizes this because it happens practically every meeting, every sale will then say, you're going to be boss. Can I go with you? You're going to go to the committee. Can I go with you? You're going to talk to the team. Can I present for you? Instead of saying to themselves, wait a minute, that sentence in that pattern almost never results in the success I want. You know, it'd be much better. What if I said, when they said, I got to talk to my boss, what if I ask this question? When you talk to your boss, 
are, are you going to be recommending us? Wouldn't that be a better question? Because if they ask that question, let's say the person goes, yeah, oh yeah, I'm going to tell my boss, we need this service. Well, then I don't need to be there. My work is done. If you, presumably, we have a relationship with your own boss, if you're going to recommend my service, isn't it better than anything I, as a total stranger, are going to say to your boss, especially when your boss recognizes that I'm a salesperson and I'm paid to say things like, hey, here's something you should be interested in. It would be much more persuasive if you did it. So if I change the question when I recognize the pattern, that would cause me to have a different conversation, uncover different information. If the person said, if I said, listen, you're going to be recommending me to your boss. And they went, well, see, I don't really like to recommend anything to my boss. Oh, really? Then you know what I'm thinking? Check, please. Let me get kind of the bill here because I recognize that, you know, who buys it's not just interested people. Interested people go, huh, that's interesting. You know, but fascinated people whose hair is on fire. When you're fascinated and your hair is on fire, that's when you're going to buy. So I'm asking you a question that's basically, by the way, when you talk to your boss, do you think your boss is going to see your hair on fire? Because if not, then you and I both know it's not going to lead to a sale. And now I know to minimize my time with you, maximize my time with somebody else, and therefore not be annoying to you. Mm -hmm. So, so it, it's what I teach people is recognize the pattern, change the pattern, create a new pattern that is a higher probability pattern that reduces the chances of them finding you annoying. So mm -hmm. in the long run, maybe someday you'll get a sale. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I love that concept of the pattern, pattern spotting. And, and it's something that, you know, even if you're just starting out, if you go in with that mindset of start looking for things, yeah, you've got to burn through a lot to start getting some data to be able to get that pattern, but everybody can do it. Mm -hmm. it's, just, it's just, it's just that that's when we start going into the other cliches of being a numbers game just to get the data, but <laughs> yeah. I don't want to go down that route, but, um, but yeah, but everybody's in a position to start looking at what happens. Yeah. Explore. Even that expression, it's a numbers game. Sales are numbers. I've been hearing that forever. First of I, all, I knew, I knew that would push a button. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I hate that. Because like, what's the number? Like in the old days, if you made a hundred phone calls, you probably would get an appointment and maybe get several and you'd get a sale, no matter what, no matter who you talk to, no matter what approach you do. In today's world, you could send 10,000 emails and go nowhere. So it's, it's really more of a quality than a quantity world. The only number is really your ratio, your conversion ratio. Well, how many proposals did you submit? How many of them did you close? So it's more of a ratio game, but the numbers, you know, uh, they got me started on something. <laughs> salespeople are always asked to track things, but it turns out that salespeople are terrible at tracking things, which is kind of why we go into sales in the first place. And I'm a salesperson too. So I, I'm throwing myself under the bus. We're terrible at tracking. You know who's good at tracking things? accountants they that's they do that for a living they're great at it the salespeople are always they always make it too complicated they track nothing or they're too complicated mm. they go you know um uh you know i'm tracking how many times i got somebody on the phone and they coughed i asked somebody you know how many times did they say not interested versus gee uh, i don't think i'm interested like they track everything they make the tracking way too complicated but i asked them why do you track why do you track well my boss makes me track yeah you should track for two reasons. You're tracking your conversion ratios because you want to be your own coach. You want to look at something that you're doing one, that succeeds one out of 10 times and ask, is there a way I can get it to work two out of 10 times, three out of 10 times? It's never going to work 10 out of 10 times. In fact, 
if I'm working, if, 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 if I close 100% of the people, then you could argue, then you're not talking to enough people. Because unless you're getting some no's, you don't know that you've reached enough of the people that would potentially have said yes. So you have to count in part because you want to be your own coach. But I've also learned this. Sales is inherently depressing. I mean, this is no getting around it. You talk to a lot of people of which a handful will talk to you. I mean, you, you reach out to a, a lot of people, a handful talk to you. Over time, almost none of them will ask for a, a proposal and very few of them will eventually buy. So you start off with like a million people, you end up five years later getting the commission on the one sale you got. You wanna jump out the window when you look at it from, from that point. What a terrible job this is. So you constantly, you know, you get more no's than yeses. Even if you're great at sales, even if you close like one out of three, which is incredible, two out of three, you're gonna say no. So you're constantly trying to overcome the negativity. So I think you got to be your own coach. You've also got to be your own cheerleader. So the number is really not just a number, but it's a benchmark. Like how many days in a row can you talk to one new person that you've never talked to? That's a, an example of a benchmark. It's a great benchmark because that benchmark, you'll see, gee, I didn't, yeah, yesterday I started this new benchmark and I talked to one new person yesterday. I talked to one new person today. Let me see if I can keep that streak going. And it's that keeping that streak going that gets you motivated, gets you excited. And of course, speaking to one new person every day, in fact, will lead to more sales. If there's one number, it's this number. It's not the number of people you call or email. It's the number of different people you talk to. And in the year, that one number will change your sales more than anything else. That's a, yeah, that's very clear, very simple. I wasn't gonna say easy to do, simple to do. <laughs> easy is a different thing. Uh, but uh, yeah, very, and as you say, easy to track. I, I know exactly what you mean about making it complicated because you start going down the route. So we get all this information, we can do it. And you give up after a week because it's just, as you say, it got too complicated, but one number. <laughs> and then once you get comfortable with that one number, then you can look at your ratio because you've started understanding what the, what the right sort of conversations are. So if, if, you, if you speak to all the wrong people, of course your conversation is going to be, uh, conversion is going to be low. But then, then it's like improving your own skills. So it's that balance between the two of, of speaking to the, of more people, getting to understand them, and then understanding yourself. So you're getting the right balance between those two. Figures. That's right. That's right. I'll give you an, a, like an analogy of this. If you ask an accountant and you're running a business and you say, you know, right now I make everybody pay in cash up front, but I'm thinking of extending credit because I think if I do, then I'll even get more customers because I'll get some customers would have otherwise have bought, just don't have the cash up front. But if I allowed people to buy uh, over time, then I probably would get more, except I do run the risk that occasionally I extend credit to the wrong person and they don't pay me back. So from an accounting uh, accountant's point of view, they look at this bad uncollectible debt and they go, well, if you have zero unpaid bills, nobody ever uh, uh, doesn't pay you. That means you didn't extend enough credit because the only way you know you extended enough credit is that some of the people you extended credit to aren't paying the bill. Interesting. So without a little bit of failure, you haven't maximized the success. And in that same way, that little bit of failure is how you know, okay, that's as far as I can, I can mm -hmm. take that. So you got to be okay. You got to interpret the failure as opposed to the normal way where you personalize failure. You go, oh, it's me. 
It's the product. <laughs> it's why did I go into sales? Why, why does my company charge less money or do this other thing? So, you, you know, you're, if you look at it, maybe you could find a, it's the Pollyanna in me. I've tried try to find a positive in a world of negative. Mm. And as you say, you got. To, I mean, I always think of it like a, uh, I think like a racing driver, and they're always pushing it to the limit, to the limit, to the limit, and then they just go over the edge. They go right now. I know where the limit is. And I exactly right. And now I know that if I go that far, the car blows up. So as long as I, if I so I can't know that unless I blow up at least yeah, one yeah. car. Uh, it's a full and and you know with us, it's not quite so destructive. <laughs> thankfully thankfully yes it's, it's more psychologically destructive yeah yeah getting a couple of nose is not as bad as a uh, crashing into a, in a wall right right <laughs> i often say that to people i go well why don't you call so and so they go, well they're gonna say no okay oh, are they gonna kill you and eat you no it's the worst thing that they could do they could say no that's as bad as it gets so in the world if it's as bad as it gets that's not such a bad penalty <laughs> uh that's uh yeah um so yeah, it's been really useful, some absolutely fantastic stuff and a great way of looking at different things. I love the, the, the pattern recognition and, the, and, and building some standard responses. Once you understand how things work, then you can manage around it. I think that's beautiful. I think the single tracking of just one new person every single day, if you're just doing that, your business is going to flourish. Uh, having that in your head is just if you've got nothing else and you take that away, that's, that's, a, that's a brilliant thing. Um, if I were to, to throw it to you and uh, get to understand you a bit more, Stephen, the question I ask everybody in this podcast, what is it that makes your bits tingle? Hmm. Well, <laughs> there's three things. Uh, one of them I'll uh, are safe for this podcast uh, discussion. The thing <laughs> professionally that gets okay. my bits to tingle is, uh, you know, it, it, training salespeople is a little like a game because everybody that I meet already knows how to sell. I hardly meet anybody that tells that tell me they don't. In fact, I sometimes start sales training class by going, does anybody here not know how to sell? Oh, everybody knows how to sell. Oh, I don't know why they thought they, I needed a full day's workshop. Obviously you already know how to sell. Given that everybody already knows how to sell, my favorite moment is when I take something that they're sure they already know like I already know how to have a conversation. I already know what questions to ask or what to say. And then I give them a different question that they never asked. And if they just ask that one question, it changes the whole rest of the conversation and changes the, if you will, parabola of growth with that opportunity. I changed one conversation that's gonna to lead to a different second conversation that over time is gonna to lead to a sale. What is that one thing? Let me give you another way of looking at it that even though you already know how to sell, you never thought of it that way. Giving people insight about things they already think they already know to the point that they don't even want to be in the training. And then you watch their face and they go, oh, yeah. Yeah, I never thought of that. Yeah, I didn't do that. Or, you know, you, you find that they tell you they believe in something, but they don't actually apply their own beliefs to their own sales. Well, I believe you should, you know, ask a lot of questions. You should listen more than you talk. All right, what about your last meeting? Did you talk more than you, well, my last meeting, I talked more than I listened. Well, did, was there ever a meeting that a salesperson talked less than the customer? No, you know why? Because we go into sales because we're good at talking. That's why we're, we didn't get into this business because we love listening. We actually got in because we like talking to people. We're good at talking to people. It comes easy to us. So giving people that, that, um, insight and in a world of as i say a lot more can be depressing than optimistic when you could give people an insight that leads to them 
finding a laugh. Like, isn't it kind of funny what we do? What we do for a living is we jump into the lives of total strangers. We ask them what they need. We go, uh-huh, uh-huh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hey, you know what you want to do? You should buy from me. We always have that advice. Whatever the problem is, buy from If you only have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And so, you know, whatever the problem, you know what the problem is? Why don't you buy from So not only can I teach you the pattern that you never saw, the a, a different way of changing the pattern, but I could help you find a way to learn something that'll change your life, laugh at something that we're doing, get a laugh, learn something, change. That's what, that's what really gets, keeps me going. And the challenge of finding something to think of some insight that the other person who's sure they knew everything there was hadn't thought of in 20 years and the, just the, the look on their face. And, and of course, the best version of that is when they tell me, you know what, I, I resisted the training. I finally went in, listened. Do, I'm doing the things you said, and it's changed my life. It's changed my career. Thank you. Mm-hmm. That ultimately, you know, I, I originally went in, I, used to be a, I was a stand-up comic before I went into a training. I, I went in just to get the laugh. I, I still love getting the laugh, but I love the insight. I love uh, when I'm able to help somebody have a better career. Fantastic. I always think of it as like a, a computer game where you've just unlocked a new level or a new dungeon or a new yes. section. And suddenly so you go, oh, wow, I've yeah. got all this to explore now. <laughs> right. <laughs> just see like, yeah, it's, it's like everything in life. There's always more to know than you yeah, think. Yeah. Everything that's the that's the mystery of life. The simplest things. There's top of the ocean to the bottom of the ocean to know about the thing, including the things you know. And usually when I'm teaching people, I'll go, So what do you think? And they'll go, you know what I learned? There's a lot more to know than I realized there was to know. Mm. I love that. Yeah. And and once someone made that shift and seen something they've never seen before and seen a, a new level of this thing before, you have changed their life forever. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. That's not a bad place to be. Not a bad, not a, it's a pretty noble job when you come down to it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, brilliant. Thank you, Steve. What, if, if anybody needs to track you down, find out more about you, look at what you do, what, what should they be doing? Where should they be going? Our website, thank you for asking, is www.dmtraining.net dmtraining.net stands for digitalmediatraining.net or they could reach me email uh, at steve at dmtraining.net either way come to our website we got a lot of free stuff podcasts newsletters uh, playbooks or contact me if you have any questions that's brilliant steven has been an absolute pleasure i've uh, great looking at sales in a slightly different way open up for new avenues got some simple stuff out uh, out of it that we can can apply and uh, obviously if anybody wants to uh, find out more you know exactly where to go but it's been an absolute pleasure Stephen for having you on and uh, wish you all the best for the future thank you I wish the same to you and have a great day cheers thank you these podcasts are not necessarily here to give you all the answers I want you to think about what's been said what's come up and how you might apply that to your own situation and if you've enjoyed it then please subscribe to the podcast and of course share it on the social media platforms and so more people get a chance to hear what's going on thanks very much for listening my name's andrew miller from business enjoyment and i want you to enjoy your business so much it makes your bits tingle